Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. And Raja Bell. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What is going on? Welcome to Off the Bench. This is Danny Cannell with Raja Bell. We got Hanno Stopchuk joining us as always, and my man Debo holding it down, producing the show for us. I am in Minnesota, so if I sound a little funky today, that is why I'm in my beautiful hotel room here in <laughs> Bloomfield, Minnesota. You guys are back there in sunny South Florida. So, Raja, did you know, are you aware that you made news from our podcast this week? I'm not, but let me just first say that if I sound weird, it's because I was yelling at third graders all night at basketball gym. <laughs> but I was unaware that I made headline news. What happened? Didn't you learn your lesson? <laughs> you need to get that anger management going, man. You got to take that course. Oh, we're taking playing. that course on the show. <laughs> yes, oh exactly. What happened? No, so for the listeners of our podcast, they know we talked about Kevin Love and his, his situation with the Cavs. But you said some stuff about him that actually was making waves around the internet talking about how he fits in the locker room, how there was a deal for him possibly be traded. They talked about it on Levitar. They talked about it on other ESPN platforms. Were you ready for that type of – like you exploded on the internet. Um, no, I wasn't ready for it, but I feel like not being exposed on social media yeah, like Raja you guys. Yeah, Raja doesn't kinda, know when know. he explodes on the internet. Like, it was, it was, it's all good. I mean, it was – Hannah and Debo both think – that we, you know, that we're we're all trying to talk you into going to Twitter. I think this might be the best thing about it. We just keep you riding solo, like in the dark, <laughs> and then you'll just keep dropping bombs on here. Like Adrian Wojnarowski has the Woj bombs. We'll just have like the Bell bombs, have and you keep bombs. dropping bombs. The bell bombs on sound us. so much better <laughs> than Woj bombs. Yeah, right? Bell like, bombs. Yeah, he needs to tighten exactly. that up. But, no, look, the, the reality... uh, we got a good show. We're gonna talk some Super Bowl Fifty Two. We got Brady Quinn, our buddy here at CBS Sports. He's gonna join us to talk a little Super Bowl matchups. Player loyalty is a topic of conversation. LeBron, of course, has uh, strong opinions on that. Uh, the Blake Griffin, Griffin trade, a little bit more on that. But and then the NFL wasn't going to be outdone with the bombshell trade in the NBA because last night it broke that Kirk Cousins uh, is now open to move somewhere else as the Redskins have decided to make a deal with the Kansas City Chiefs signing Alex Smith to a deal that is worth 70 mil guaranteed, 92 million overall, roughly around $23 million a year. They're going to reportedly move a third-round pick and Kendall Fuller, a promising young defensive back who played in the slot. They're talking about him maybe being a starter on the outside. The Chiefs get an extra $17 million in cap space. Here's my thing on this trade that went down. I think both these teams are going to regret it. And if it, it sounds weird because I like Alex Smith and I like Kirk Cousins, but I like them on their respective teams. Like Alex Smith was perfect in Andy Reid's system because it's more of a conservative offense, the West Coast. It's high completion percentage, get completions, keep the chains moving, be efficient, which Alex Smith was last year by all means. And the Redskins weren't happy with Kirk Cousins, who all he did was deliver them 4,000-yard seasons year after year. He put up huge numbers, but he 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 would slang that rock. Like, he would throw it down the field. I think they're going to regret when they see Alex Smith. They're going to be like, oh, this is what we traded for. And I feel like the Chiefs are also going to be in the same boat with Patrick Mahomes. They're looking for more of a gunslinger-type guy, a guy who will throw it around and is going to stretch the field vertically. But I know Patrick Mahomes might be great, but there's so much unknown to him. I just feel like they're willing to move on 
with a guy they picked 10th overall. I just think this is two teams that were looking for that sexier, hotter girlfriend, and they're both going to end up sitting there thinking, what do we do with the guy we had? <laughs> right. The, gra- <laughs> the grass is not always greener. Um, you know, look, you invest in, a, in in Patrick Mahomes because you saw something um, that you that, that, that you want to experiment with that you think could wind up being what's best for your franchise in the future. Um, Alex Smith has been there a, a decent amount of time. He's, he's, um, like, I agree. He also is the perfect quarterback for that system with Andy Reid, but you've seen where that gets you as a franchise. And so maybe they're just at a point where, look, we, we spent the draft pick. We've seen the guy for a year now. We've got faith that he can come in there and, and handle his business. I, what really strikes me about the deal is the Redskins and Kirk Cousins because he's been very, very productive in Washington. They franchise tagged him twice. Um, if you're going to bring Alex Smith in and pay him all this money, it makes me wonder about what Alec, I mean, what, what Kirk Cousins is behind closed doors. Like sometimes people don't know an entity. They don't know a guy like Kirk Cousins, um, when, when you don't have access to him every day. Like you don't know, and I'm not saying anything negative about Kirk Cousins' personality, but sometimes the only person that knows is the person that's dealt with him for the last three, four years and their reluctancy to keep him long term. Resign him and then throw a bag of money at at um at um Jesus sorry a bag of money um, at Alex Smith and spend the draft pick to get him makes me wonder what they know about Kirk Cousins personality wise day to day wise locker room wise that other people don't know. Here's what I think it is because I think Kirk Cousins is an outstanding locker room guy. I think he's a great qual- a quality character guy. They literally want somebody. That's sexier. Like, I mean, literally, like they want somebody with a bigger arm. They want somebody that they think is more of a superstar. And basically this comes down to how bad they screwed up his contract. Because if they would have extended him three years after his first year, because he, so looking back, so he, so in 2015, he had his breakout year, right? He had 4,000, 4,100 yards, 29 touchdowns, 11 picks. Like that's, that's a franchise quarterback type year. And they were talking long-term deal it was it was his fourth year in the league, so he was coming up, and so they put the tag on him because they couldn't figure out a long-term deal. They should have just given him $20 mil a year at that time, which Kirk Cousins probably would have taken, but they didn't. So then once they got in this franchise deal, they kept franchising him, and if they would have had to tag him one more time, it would have been like 34 I think $35 million, right. which would have been insane, which is way too much for Kirk Cousins. So they basically found themselves in this spot because they screwed up his contract so bad. Then when they go back to Kirk Cousins, and they've done it every offseason, they said, hey, we know we screwed it up, but can we get you now for a rate? They couldn't do it because Kirk Cousins is like, screw you guys. You guys wouldn't pay me when I showed I could play. And so I feel like it's a personality conflict, and I think a lot of it has to go with Daniel Snyder. Like I think he goes back, and it's funny because RG3 actually tweeted out. He said, somehow somehow y'all are going to figure out how to wait to pin it on me. And, you know, I don't think everybody's ripping RG for saying that. But deep down, I think it might be that Daniel Snyder's upset that he didn't – because Mike Shanahan drafted Kirk Cousins and Daniel Snyder uh, selected RG3 with that. And they traded the house – like they gave away the house for RG3. I feel like a lot of it is just personality wasn't there. There wasn't a fit. And this – like Kirk Cousins is the most disrespected quarterback in the entire NFL. Like the way that Jay, Jay Gruden talked about him after the season was over when he was like, yeah, he's like, well, good quarterbacks don't really go seven and nine. And it like blamed the whole season on him and said, yeah, he had a good season, but how do you explain seven and nine? Like they just never respected him. 
So I think Kirk Cousins is the winner in all of this. Like, I really do. He's going to get to go to a good team. He's going to get the pick of his land. He's going to pick the landscape, see what team he can go to. Like, I think the Broncos would be a great fit. He could even go to Jacksonville if, if they don't, you know, decide to keep Bortles. Right. Um, like, anywhere he goes, he's going to be appreciated a thousand times more than he was with them. So I think it's going to be a win situation for him. Well, I hope it works out. I mean, I look, uh, again, I don't, I don't know Kirk Cousins. I do know that – NFL franchises, MLB franchises, NBA franchises, like professional sports, they aren't in the business of, of giving away more than they have to. Um, right. and so that speaks to me when, when, when you wind up, you've got a guy, um, obviously you're, you're not paying Alex Smith to the tune that you'd have to pay Kirk Cousins. You just alluded to why. Um, but still you, you could lock him up. You could get that done if you wanted to. And you wind up spending draft picks, um, to get another quarterback. I, I just, I wouldn't discount the fact that they've had him for four years. They know him better than anybody, and there's been a reluctancy to get it done. Um, I wouldn't blame it all on the organization. That's all I would say. All right, so that was the big news of the NFL, the trade uh, that went down between the Chiefs and the Redskins. There was also big NBA news, and it wasn't trade news this time. It was injury news. As Kevin Love broke his hand. He's out six to eight weeks. Uh, it happened in the first quarter against Detroit. Um, non-displaced fracture on his left hand. We're talking about lineup changes. Raja, I was talking to you yesterday on the radio show. I was asking if they would possibly move Kevin Love. What do you think this means for the Cavs, who are abs- – I think they're reeling. Like, I think they are desperate. I think it looks worse than it ever has with LeBron James in Cleveland. What does this mean for them moving forward? It's a very good question. I was thinking on the way in this morning. I didn't know I didn't know he hurt himself until this morning. Um, first, let me touch on – I watched I watched part of the game um, – I watched part of the game last night, and I only, it was really quick, and I didn't know that Kevin Love had injured his hand. He just wasn't in the game at the time. And Jeff Green had the ball on the strong side. There was a cut made by, by Crowder to the basket, and Jeff Green missed him. Now, in the heat of the battle, sometimes you don't see that cut as it's going by you. Uh, Jay Crowder took such offense to it that he just hung his head, and he ran out of bounds, taking himself out of the play for like a second and a half. And then he kind of... Like, nonchalantly jogged back in bounds on the other side of the court. Jeff Green promptly went into, like, a one-on-one and missed the shot. And Jay Crowder kind of shrugged his shoulders over in the corner in front of the bench and ran the other way. And at that point, like, it dawned on me. This this is really – this is real. This is a mess. And I was on with you yesterday saying, like, my belief in the Cavs is, like, what I say, a 6 out of 10? Um, yeah. It's at, like, a 4. Yeah, so, I, so I asked you your confidence level that the Cavs would win the Eastern Conference. And you said six. Yeah. That, like, is it, that was before Kevin Love gets hurt, before you saw this Jay Crowder scene. Is it down to a five now today? No, it's worse because that's, that's, <laughs> no, that speaks to like real animosity between guys, real, real feelings about, Hey man, I'm open and this guy's not sharing the ball. Like when you're on a team that's got good chemistry and you make that cut and you get, and someone misses you, you never think twice about it because you feel confident that the next time you make that cut, you're going to get the ball. The fact that you didn't get the ball was an anomaly, right? And mm-hmm. when you feel like on, on national TV, it's a TNT game, that you not making that cut and not getting the ball warrants that type of body language and response, it says to me that this is prevalent. Like, this happens a lot. This is a, this is a cultural thing in your locker room. That's really scary. Add to it the Kevin Love injury, um, and this is just a, a mess. Um, what, what I will say is this may make it easier for the Cavs to make a deal, um, six for to eight Kevin weeks. Love? Well, I don't know that it will be for Kevin Love, but 
But yes, I mean, I don't, I, it would definitely make it easier for him to make a deal for Kevin Love at this point. Uh, whoever would trade for Kevin Love still has him locked up for a few more years. It's not like they're getting a, getting a rental in Kevin Love. And from the, the Cavs perspective, if you get something back really good that is a rental, um, you're facing the prospect next year of losing LeBron anyway, coming off of Isaiah Thomas's money, having the Nets draft pick. So you'd be starting over. So it's not the worst thing in the world in either case scenario. Um, I'm not saying that it happens, but this could make it easier for a Kevin Love deal to be made for sure. I look at this team, and if LeBron is able to overcome this, which I'm with you, I've kind of been ready to jump off this Cavs bandwagon for about a month or two now, like just watching the chemistry, watching. uh, They're kind of lethargic. They're not like they don't seem like they play well together. The Isaiah Thomas experiment like looks like it's not going to be as good as people thought originally. I st- I think if if LeBron does make it, it might be one of the greatest feats of his career. Like to pull this team together, if he can get everybody to buy in, if he can put this team on his back yet again, and just to get to the finals, because I don't think they're beating the Warriors. I don't think anybody does. But it might be just as impressive as it was the first time around in Cleveland when he was younger with that squad, which was garbage, uh, when he took that team to the finals. I because I think it's it's going to be that much of a hurdle for him to overcome. Um, you, you may be right. The problem is LeBron, LeBron was playing fantastic early this season. He's not playing great right now. Right, he's not like he, he's LeBron. We get it, but he's he's like a mortal LeBron right now. He's not MVP. Well, I think he's also getting LeBron. gas because he's playing more than he's played. Like he hasn't, he's not taking games off. And I wonder if he'll, I because he real, I think he really wants the MVP because I think he realizes he's not going to get that's the finals. Out. It's over. Get that's game. over. That's yeah, a wrap. I think he wants the MVP, and I think that's why it'll be interesting to see me after the All Star break if he does start taking some games off to try to start setting up a run for the playoffs. I don't know that he I don't know that he can afford to. Like they they if they lose tonight they're in the fourth spot in the east and they're they're separated by like a game and a half from like 7 and 8. Like this is it's getting they gave up 125 friggin points to the Detroit Pistons last night who just pulled a trade. We're missing what three guys? Yeah. You have 125 <laughs> points like that's that's absurd. It, it like that is absolutely asinine that you give up 125 points to the Detroit Pistons. Um, LeBron's not going to be in any kind of position to take nights off. That team is going to have to grind for every inch come down the stretch if they continue on this on this path. All right, so we I, – I actually forgot that we didn't talk about this because we did – I was doing serious radio yesterday, and I had you on to discuss the uh, Blake Griffin deal. So – that was the NBA blockbuster deal. I'm sure everybody knows about it because it's been a day now, and we keep getting screwed. I keep texting Debo when <laughs> NBA news breaks because we do our podcast Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It feels like every time big NBA story goes down, it's always right after we do our show, so we have to wait like 36 hours to get to it. But I, our, our listeners to the pod, to Off the Bench, don't know your thoughts on the Blake Griffin deal of him going to Detroit. Detroit gets Blake Griffin, Willie Reed, Bryce Johnson, L.A. The Clippers receive Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban Marjanovic, and uh, a 2018 protected first-round pick. Uh, Debo, did I butcher Boban's name? No, you did well, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was going to ask Confidence. Anna for a little pronunciation help there a little bit. Uh, you know, um, so good at that. So, yeah. <laughs> So I, my first reaction, I was like, holy crap, nobody knew about this. My reaction was basically the same as Blake Griffin's reaction on Twitter. When he puts out a meme and is like shaking his head and doesn't, he's like, what? What is going down? What was your reaction, Raja, when you saw this? Uh, my initial reaction was, was wow. Like what? What just happened? I was in, I was at basketball practice and one of the parents told me that it just came across the wire and of all the potential trades, um, 
either involving or not involving Blake Griffin. Like him going to the Detroit Pistons was not on my radar. That was just not something that <laughs> like I just didn't see that coming. Uh for a number of reasons like you know Detroit like for a, from a player's perspective no disrespect to Detroit like going from LA um to the Motor City like when when you're as invested in like your personal persona as Blake Griffin is like that's got to be a tough blow. Like that's tough to leave to leave uh Southern California and the, uh, the studios and all that and, and, and go to Detroit. Secondly, I just didn't think Detroit was like in a position right now to really need Blake Griffin. But, but after looking at it a little bit, I, I like they built the new arena there. It, it's a, a fantastic spot, but they're not like, even if you watched the game last night and I was only there for like two minutes, you could see a bunch of red seats wide open. So mm-hmm. they, they need, they need a marquee name to draw to downtown Detroit. Um, they, they need to put, fans in those seats. Blake Griffin is the kind of name that could potentially do that. So I started to see why why Detroit would make the move. And then for the Clippers standpoint, I mean I guess this speaks to like where you want to go as a franchise. I don't buy I I I I don't buy them saying that DeAndre Jordan's not available and Lou Williams is not available. Like I told you yesterday, I, their their roster now is like a menu at a restaurant for NBA teams. Like you're just looking at it trying to see what you could get. Like what's on special tonight? Can I get that? Like I'm trying to see what I could steal off of that off of that roster for nothing because everything they've done screams like we're going to rebuild. It just screams that. Like we we got a bunch of money coming off the books to make a run in 2020. Um DeAndre's got to be secretly up up for sale and the same with Lou Williams. Anything of value that would net you something um in in return in terms of a draft pick or money savings or or the like, you you got to be up for it if you're the Clippers and Doc Rivers. So the thing that surprised me the most is how the Clippers were supposedly all in with Blake Griffin. They just gave him a new contract before the season. Like they extended him. He was supposed to be the face of the franchise. And I'm sure that's why Blake was so shocked. And no, everybody was shocked because he just assumed, all right, they moved off CP3. Maybe that was the problem. But let's build around Blake Griffin. Now that they tear this down, like that's the biggest shocker to me. Do you think – because I thought – my initial reaction, and it was, it was everybody's initial reaction, was, oh, this is the Clippers making a run at LeBron. Do you think that's what this is about, or do you think this is a like a, a real rebuild where they're going? Because I think if they go rebuild and they miss LeBron, they're setting themselves back like five, six years or longer. Like you don't just walk away from a player like Blake Griffin unless you think you can do something special. And I just I don't know if they're going to be able to swing that. Okay, well, I guess let me pose the question to you. Like, if you were LeBron, what in LA is enticing you to go there right now? In terms of the Clippers, like, what, 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 what would it be? Just LA as a as a destination? Danilo right, Gallinari locked up for there. like sixty mil. <laughs> you got Danilo for sixty. Wesley Johnson, um, uh, I, 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 Austin Rivers and Doc together. Which I mean, look, I've got no history, but a lot of people say that's 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 tough. That's a tough thing. Um, Sam Decker. I mean, I don't know what would be on that roster that would entice you to want to go to L.A. If I know anything about LeBron, it's that he's going places where he thinks he can win a championship. There's no other motivation for him. It's not financial. It's not where he lives. He lives in northeast Ohio. Like, he left Miami to go back to Cleveland. I lived in Cleveland. Cleveland's a tough place in the winter. Like, a, a really cool city, but a tough place in the winter. That didn't scare LeBron. I mean, it's home for him, but he didn't care. Uh, so you're not selling weather. You'd be have to, you'd have to be selling a roster that was put together in a way that LeBron thought could get him over the hump in the West 
because he's not in the East anymore skating through trying to get to the Clip, uh, the, uh, the Golden State Warriors. He's squarely in the Western Conference. I don't buy it. Yeah, unless they pull off some deal, and this is would really be LeBron pulling those strings where he pulls together players like he did when he went to the Heat. And I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to swing that because the Lakers look way more attractive if you're talking about young players that you can build around that you could go pair up with and win a championship. So Blake gets the five-year, $173 million deal just in July. The Clippers did this whole elaborate pitch for him, and now he's got to be sitting there. And I've told it with you. The one, the, my first from like a human standpoint was like, oh man, he's got to go from <laughs> Southern Cal to Detroit. Like you, I don't think you could pick a worse despair, like disparity in cities. Like it's just brutal. Um, do you th- like if I'm Blake, I'm thinking about firing my agent for not having a no trade clause in there. Like how, how come more players aren't protected? Or are they? Was this just an oversight by Blake and his agent? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I I, uh, I had a lot of beef with my agent over like player options when I played. Like I was, I never had a player option, but I was a guy who like never had really made any money. So when people started throwing like what I deemed as a decent deal at me, it never even dawned on me to to get a player option. Like and my and my agent at the time. Didn't say it. And so I got locked into deals like specifically my, my Phoenix deal, which was great and I don't regret it at all, but man, it would have sure been nice after the third year to have a player option, right? Like I could, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, my deal took me a little too, I was long in the tooth when the deal was up. Um, it would have been still in my prime. I was having the best years of my career. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, you just miss the boat on stuff like that. I don't know why Blake doesn't have one. I mean, it seems like every player of, of his ilk, even players that are a little less than Blake, on the power scale in the NBA, wind up having player. I mean, um, no trade clauses. So yeah, that, that that's an interesting question. I don't know why he does not have one. Yeah, I don't. I I I totally agree with you. I think he's the player, the caliber of player that would have been able to get it if he wanted to. There was probably some trust level on his part, and maybe it was just blind loyalty that he ended up getting burned by. Uh, that he probably assumed he made the assumption, hey, the Clippers, they love me. They, you know, they moved out CP3. They're doing these other, they're building around me. Yeah. And he made that assumption wrongly, which he ended up getting screwed, which brings us to something because LeBron talked about the Blake Griffin trade. And I want you to listen to what he said. And it's about player loyalty, the fan reaction, how we react to trades versus players leaving via free agency. Here's LeBron. Yeah, when a player gets traded, it's, they was doing what's best for the franchise. But when a player decides to leave, it's, he's not loyal. He's a snake. He's, uh, he's not committed. That's just the, that's the that's the narrative of how, how it goes. So uh, I'm definitely I, I know that firsthand. All right, so Raja, I think LeBron has some deep issues. Like he needs to see a counselor, a grief counselor, or something because he's still bitter over the reaction that he got when he left to Miami, which was ridiculous. Like, it was ridiculous for Cleveland fans burning the jerseys. I'm sure he felt some, not as much, from the Heat fans when he went back to Cleveland. But I don't I don't think that fans are really thrilled that Blake, especially Clippers fans, I think they're probably devastated. I don't think they're saying, way to go, Clippers, we traded away our superstar. So I think LeBron is kind of off base on this one. I think this speaks more to his personal issue than it is to the greater reaction of fans when their players get traded. Um, I, I, I disagree. I, I agree on some points. I think LeBron has some personal feelings, obviously, on the issue. Um, 
but generally speaking, I'm of the, I'm of the LeBron school of thought and I always have been and I have the argument with my father-in-law, my brother-in-law and, you know, whoever else wants to get some. I have the argument, like, fans typically have a different level of vitriol for, for players, um, when they decide to leave an organization for whatever reason than they do when organizations decide to part ways. And let's not use a trade, right? Cause sometimes to your point, like, I don't believe LA Clippers fans are, are, are very happy with the Clippers for trading Blake Griffin. But let's just use, let's use like a situation where you're not going to resign, resign, um, you know, a, 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 a good piece on your team, right? Like you, you choose mm-hmm. not to make the offer, um, that's, that's, that would keep him with your organization, right? A competitive offer. Um, right. you've made an offer. Um, Eric's team, Debo's team has also made an offer, but it's a better offer. This player on your team is, is part of the glue and the fabric of your team and you choose not to match that offer. Well, fans are going to beat up the player that leaves for Debo's team because you know, it looks like he's leaving. He's left them standing at the altar when, in fact, if you really wanted to, as a, as a, as a ball club, keep said player, you would have matched the offer. That happens all the time. And fans are going to put that weight squarely on the shoulders of a player. And, and that's just one of the financial situations that exist. But there are any number of reasons that a player might feel another destination is in his best interest. And I just feel like the public has been conditioned to bash the player for that. And yeah. organizations don't bear the same type of responsibility and backlash that players do when they decide to move on from a player for one reason or another. Yeah, I think that's where I think you and I probably get caught up in. Because if you talk to any player, former player, uh, in any sport, and a player leaves a team, like I could care. I don't, like, good for that guy for getting paid. Right. Like, I don't, you know, like when LeBron's bouncing around or when anybody takes a better deal for better money or just for personal reasons, doesn't like the franchise, I never criticize a player for leaving. Like, good for him for getting played, but uh, for paid. But I do agree with you on the fan reaction to those. When, for, when guys decide to make decisions on their own, I think they get totally. They get crushed and it's unfair. But I get it from a fan's perspective too, because they feel uh, betrayed. Like they're they they buy they're buying tickets, they're shelling out their hard earned money. Uh, so I get their um their you know uh, ups- when they get upset. But I guess I just feel like LeBron bringing it up here with this trade, I thought was the wrong place to bring that up. Like I thought it was totally different. Yeah, uh, you know, in this one. Well, so do you? Th- Cle- so go ahead. Oh, go, go, ahead. Ahead. go ahead. No, clearly he's got some issues with 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 what's happened to him in the past. I mean that right. there's no mistake in that. But uh, I I tend to lean towards LeBron's side of the argument um, on this one. Yeah. So what's the what's the new setup like in Cleveland? Because there's there's been a report from Ken Berger, the Bleacher Report. He was saying he's saying that Cavs owner Dan Gilbert has taken over the personnel side of basketball operations, and this for me makes me cringe because I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think when owners get involved in something they know nothing about but they think they do, I think it ruins a franchise. And I'll go talk about the discussion we had at the top of the show about Kirk Cousins and the Redskins. I think Daniel Snyder has ruined that franchise because he gets involved. I thought Al Davis did it to some extent when he was with the Raiders. I think Jerry Jones ruins the Cowboys because he thinks he knows what he's doing instead of letting his general managers do the job. How concerned are you if Dan Gilbert is getting involved in personnel decisions in Cleveland? I'm very concerned. Um, like Dan, Dan, Dan Gilbert uh, has been so successful because of his personality type, right? Let's put that out there. Like the reason why he's able to own a Cleveland Cavaliers franchise is because of who he is. Um, 
So in one sense, you always want to be true to self um, and be who you are. But I watched David Griffin, a good friend of mine in Cleveland, struggle with keeping Dan Gilbert at bay in terms of stepping on Griff's toes and not allowing Griff to make the decisions that he felt were in the best interest of the Cleveland Cavaliers and and do the job that he was paid to do by Dan Gilbert. It was a it was a constant power struggle in terms of allowing Griff to do his job and having to deal with Dan um, and and Dan's camp wanting to be involved. Now clearly it's their team and and they have final you know say and 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 that's the way it should be. But at some point you have to delegate and trust the person that you've hired to do their job to do their job. And so that lack of trust is what ultimately led to the to the to David Griffin leaving. Um, and Kobe Altman's ascension to, to general manager in, in Cleveland. And I love Kobe. I think Kobe's got the personality um, and the skill set to be a really, really good general manager. I don't think that this job is one that's going to help him on his quest to be a long-term general manager in the NBA because he's got an owner that, that's going to run all over him. And Kobe hasn't – he doesn't have enough resume yet to really backbone up and stand up to Dan and say, hey, man, back up. Let me do my job. Like, this is my job. And so, you know, Kobe's stuck in a situation, if I'm just reading it from the outside, because I've not talked to Kobe Altman uh, about this at all. All I've said to Kobe is, you know, congratulations on the job, so on and so forth. Uh, but if I'm reading this situation, it looks like Kobe's in a job now that he didn't expect to have. The money is really good. He's got to earn a living. And he is just in a situation where he can't say no to Dan Gilbert. And it's really, really hard for that to be your first job in the NBA in, in terms of general managing. Do you think that's why LeBron ultimately leaves Cleveland? Because if it's Dan Gilbert, there's because I think there's deep-seated issues between LeBron and Dan Gilbert because of the letter that he wrote when he left the sure. first time. Like, I, Do you think that's why LeBron would possibly leave? I think it could be a reason. There was very little interaction between LeBron James and Dan Gilbert when I was in Cleveland. Most of the interaction with LeBron's camp came with Nate Forbes, who is one of Dan's business partners. And, and, and when I was there, he was the day-to-day basketball guy. We didn't deal with Dan that much. Um, but when we did deal with Dan, like I said, the, re- the relationship was kind of, you know, it was, it was aggressive. Like, he, he, he wants to be involved. But Nate has a much better personality type for those kind of interactions with NBA players, a lot cooler, a lot easier, much easier to deal with. Um, and so LeBron's camp didn't have a whole lot to do with Dan. So if that is going to be what you have to deal with in terms of getting every decision made, you know, the big decisions, you expect an owner to be involved. But the day-to-day handling, the personality of the stuff, the putting out of fires, like you can't have Dan Gilbert involved in all of that. That's going to be a mess, and it could wind up being a reason why LeBron ultimately leaves. I can only imagine LeBron's reaction when he hears that Isaiah Thomas is frequently texting and calling Dan Gilbert. That's not like, good. I, I can't imagine that goes over well with LeBron and IT's relationship. You know, but both of them, you know what's interesting about that, man? Like, Dan Gilbert, little guy. Isaiah Thomas, little guy. Like, they, no, but no, and I don't mean it in, no, they do. They, and, and, and look, I applaud it because they both succeeded in, in fields probably that they weren't given a whole lot of, uh, um, credit to actually succeed in because of this chip that they have on their shoulder. Like this, the, 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 and, and so they do relate in that regard. Um, and, and I think it's awesome. Having said that, it's not a good look for, for, for LeBron. Uh, to be watching IT have this great relationship with Dan Gilbert. And, you know, IT is, like, he, look, he, look, you can say what you want, but he's been an inefficient scorer so far. Um, and he's a really, really bad defensive player. And I know it's not fair to IT to say that it's all on him. I'm not saying that it's all on him, 
but he is part of what's going on there. So to have one of those guys constantly texting the owner, the owner is hard to deal with in the first place. Yeah, that could start to, to, to fracture some relationships. Dan Gilbert's yeah. only 5'6". That's <laughs> what Wikipedia tells me. Yeah, no. And, and look, again, little dude, but like huge personality, huge, huge ambition, huge drive, and it's why he's been so successful. But when you're talking about two guys, and Isaiah for his field is really, really small, like they do have something in common in that. Maybe Isaiah likes him because he's 5'9 and he towers over Dan Gilbert, one of the people, <laughs> one of the people that he can actually tower over. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, Hannah. H- Hannah, what you got for us today? All right, guys, we're going to start with the Warriors because even with the best collection of talent in the league, they aren't going to win every night. But their coach, Steve Kerr, at least wants to see these guys play hard. On Tuesday, Golden State suffered a 30-point loss to the Jazz, easily their worst of the season. Kerr called it, quote, a pathetic effort and disgusting basketball. What? <laughs> <laughs> But, well, yeah, when you give up 129 points to the Jazz, that's probably bad basketball. Um, yeah, not too great. But uh, this was like the – I mean, it's been Golden State for the last three years. It was the Cavs last year. Like, I don't care that they lose that game. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, chalk it up to a bad night. Whatever happened, Salt Lake City can be a hard place to play. Was it in Salt Lake? I don't know. But that can be a, that can be a rough one to play in. So just keep it moving. Uh, get into the All-Star break healthy. Come out of it. Hit your stride going into going into uh, – April. James Harden, first ever 60-point triple-double in NBA history. Danny, how huge was that? Uh, it's pretty insane. With no Chris Paul, James Harden's going to take over. My man is not afraid. Doesn't see a shot he doesn't like. 60 points, though, is pretty insane. One of the most historic uh, uh, moments in NBA history. So shout-out to him for sure. Wizards all-star John Wall scheduled to undergo a procedure on his left knee on Wednesday, which could sideline the point guard for up to two months. The Wiz winners of over OKC last night and currently sit fifth in the East, but this still hurts. With Wall on the court, Washington is fourth in the NBA in net efficiency, but with him off the court, they dropped to 22nd in the league. Um, yeah, I think it's go – go ahead. I think it's good they've taken care of this now for possibly a playoff run. I, lo- I love this team, the way they play. I love Wall's attitude. I don't think he's intimidated by anybody. I love – the emotion he plays with, he's not afraid. Um, but I think this is the best move is to get it done now before that playoff run. But I just don't know with him out how far they're going to drop in these uh, standings. They're sitting at, what, fourth right now. Uh, how they maintain you know, that spot is going to be very questionable. Or fifth. They're in fifth right now in the Eastern Conference. All right, another podcast, another Trey Young stat line to talk about. The freshman sensation dropped 44 points, including six threes to go along with nine assists in Oklahoma's 98-96 victory over Baylor. 44, Young's second highest scoring output of the season. That kid could shoot the ball. I mean, he was shooting the ball from from some ridiculous positions on the court with hands in his face, kind of falling back, landing on one leg off balance. He he is uh, He's going to be really exciting. Uh, to see in like the pre-draft work and to see what his measurables come out at. Um, and then obviously wherever he goes, I want to see if this can translate. That's going to be the million dollar question, whether this, this type of play and his size and stature can translate like Steph Curry's did into the NBA or not. Potential change coming to transfer rules in the NCAA. This possible new rule would allow players to transfer without restriction or penalty of sitting out if their coach were fired or left for another job. Thank goodness. Like this is the this is the first time there's been a common sense rule applied. I don't think like just letting players up and leave anytime they want is a good idea. I think it would lead to free agency. But if a coach leaves for a better job, why can't the players? And I think it will be one where the players actually get more say, they get more leverage, and it's a good thing. So I think this is just a common sense rule if it happens. Word. 
All right, Raja, this last one's for you. Is Gronk good to go in his first media availability leading up to the Super Bowl? The Patriots tight end answered yes when asked if he thought he will play on Sunday. Gronkowski said he hoped to be out of the concussion protocol by Wednesday after taking a hard hit in the second quarter of the AFC Championship. Let me think about that. <laughs> Gronk. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. Was I knew it was coming. I just got to have to be leap ready. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, look, all jokes aside, like this is like a running joke now, but um, – yeah, Gronk's gonna play. Like, I don't. Does anybody think that? Yeah, Gronk, he's gonna like, of course play. he's gonna There's play. No way, not this game. It's a no. Super Bowl. He'll be fine. All right, let's get to let's get to our guest, man. We got Brady ready to go, right? All right, we got Brady Quinn, our buddy here at CBS Sports, our NFL analyst. He also does games with FS1. You can follow him on Twitter at third underscore goal. Uh, former uh, pro quarterback. Everybody knows him. He needs no introduction. But I love what we said as we were setting up the interview. Now, as we're just coming off Rajah dropping his. Uh, <laughs> His line on Gronk that Brady goes, hey, I didn't know we could cuss on this podcast. <laughs> Basically what it boils down to, Brady, is how much do we want to make our producer, Eric, work? Because like, if he has to go back and bleep out every one of them. So if you want to really make his day miserable, just start drop F- dropping F-bombs left and right. Well, <laughs> if that's how this is going to work, I-, I guess I can just start off right out the gate. Um, it's really all Raja. Raja drops an F-bomb like every time. Uh, man, don't Except tell yourself I short. Did it, I did it once yeah. when we t- were talking hard Tom Brady. My question is, what, what's the beef, though, with Gronk? I, I've heard in the office that Raja's got a beef with Rob Gronkowski. I, I don't know what the deal I is I think secretly that. I wanted to be a tight end, like, and I'm envious Yo, of, like, you the could skill be, set. You could definitely be a tight end. Yeah. Danny, you'd throw yeah. to Raja all day, wouldn't you? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I would just put him out there, get him one-on-one, and throw it up for grabs. Like, nah. you, know, you just have to get it. That's the thing. The catch radius for Gronk and Raja is that insane. Like just put it somewhere. And as me as a very average uh, accuracy guy, like I, I wouldn't require much. Just throw perfect. it in the vicinity and they'll make the perfect. plays. Yeah, I'm envious. It's just all jealousy, bro. All jealousy. <laughs> Raja's jealous because he, well, I don't know though, Raja, you seem like you're a guy that just spoke your mind pretty much when you were out there. But Gronk just, he, he gets the pass because he's this dumb, lovable guy. That's, that's ultimately, he, that's ultimately what it is. Crazy. It's the pass that he gets for like being like. Work hard, play hard. Yeah, sixty nine, yeah. like sixty nine, like you know, <laughs> yeah, it's the pat. Like, that, there's no repercussions. There's no repercussions, and that bothers me a little bit. I gotta be honest. Okay, that hurts. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's get to Brady on some Super Bowl stuff because one of the things <clears throat> that everybody's been talking about, and it'll be talked about ad nauseum, is Tom Brady, um, his ability, the longevity, uh, just everything, his his diet. How, like, when you look at Tom Brady, what do you, like, what is your reaction to him as a quarterback, his legacy, all of it? Like, what do you think when you think of Tom Brady? I think he's the greatest of all time. I mean, he's making a case uh, that he could be potentially the greatest, like, team athlete of all time, like, of all sports, right? And you could throw in Michael Jordan, you can throw in some other cases, but if he wins a sixth Super Bowl, going to his eighth Super Bowl, given how difficult that is... I think he's making a case for it. And let's talk about longevity, too, in the sense that he won, what, three at the beginning of his career? And now yeah. he's, again, trying to win a third at the end of his career at 40 years old. Uh, that's tough to do in a sport where you know he's been able to maintain his health for the most part besides one season. Um, and, and outside of that, you know, I think it's just he sacrificed everything, um, everything. You know, didn't leave the sport uh, besides, obviously, the deflate gate issue, but – he sacrificed everything to put himself in this position as, and as, as dealt with guys coming in and out the door, still finding production, still playing at a, at a high level. Uh, I, know, I know a lot was made of the Alex Guerrero, his trainer situation that 
Um, there was a beef between the you know head coach Bill Belichick and the training staff and Robert Kraft and Tom Brady and all that. You know, I had a chance to work with Alex Guerrero. That guy's legit. Okay, I mean that guy. He knows what he's doing. He's going to put you in the right situation um, to to help you with whatever it is that's ailing you and, and needing to get you back to 100. Um, percent So you know, I'm not surprised at all that he's linked up with Tom and Tom's been so successful. I think he plays a small part in that, but really, to me, it's just the sacrifice that he's made to be able to last as long as he has and, and with as many moving parts as he's had. So, like when I think of MJ, because you referenced like greatest team like uh, player of all time, like. MJ made a transition from like an all-out athletic attack the rim type of score to yeah. a real low post back to the basket fade away, um, lessen the toll that, that the game takes on your body type of player, right? Yeah. And so we're talking about Tom at forty now, and you got the TB twelve. Like, what do you see in terms of him making an adjustment to to the way he plays stylistically? Like, like does he have to evolve as a player, or do you just see this Tom Brady riding off into the sunset? I think he's evolved early on. When you looked at his career, it was they had good defense. They based a lot of things off play action pass. There were some screens and then play action pass. I mean, I had Charlie Weiss, who was his offensive coordinator, when they, they he was a part of winning three Super Bowls. And one of the things he told me when he got to Notre Dame was, early on, they didn't want to put too much on his plate because they didn't really know how much he could handle. Right. So it was really a mixture of screens, running the football, play action pass, and shots. Well, as we've con- they've continued to grow, and as he's continued to grow throughout the course of his career, there's been games. I remember a game against Buffalo. I want to say he had like 20-some straight-up pass attempts. Not one run. It was all spread. It was all empty, all shotgun, and completely came out the entire game and just picked them apart. And that's where he's gotten to at this point. He has complete control, complete autonomy of this offense where everything's on his shoulders. I mean, look at the AFC Championship game. They couldn't run the football. He was getting beat up in the first half. But the second half, they put it on his shoulders. They mix up tempo. They do different things. And he's able to overcome a lot of things that other quarterbacks couldn't overcome. Did you watch the Tom versus Time? Have you watched the documentary, the first two? No, I haven't had a chance to yet. Don't you're not, but you're not boycotting <laughs> it like Hannah, though, are you? No, because I'm, I'm not a huge <laughs> Buffalo fan. Like, I grew up a Cleveland fan. And so when people complain, like, oh, Buffalo, like they haven't had success in the playoffs, I'm like, Cleveland just went 0-16. That's who I grew up rooting for. So I just think Tom Brady sucks. <laughs> So bad. Like me, me and Gronk, Hannah and Tom. Yes, <laughs> it's true. He's he's so good, and I just I'm so sick of talking about him. Like, oh my god. Look, I grew up a Cleveland Cavs fan. Okay, so I grew up watching Michael Jordan basically end any hopes and dreams I had of the Cavs winning an NBA championship. I don't hate him. I respect him. It was amazing like yeah. to be able to watch the greatest basketball player of all time. I think that's pretty petty, Hannah. I just got to tell you. No. I mean, I think obviously he's, ah. he's obviously he's so talented. It's not that I disrespect when, him. I when, just think he's so annoying. When can we get into Hannah's dating life? At some point, have you guys <laughs> Oh no. Guys like I, that welcome topic? to the Why podcast, you brother. Get into that? <laughs> How do you transition from me or hating get Tom the Super Brady? Yeah, welcome to the podcast. Brady. <laughs> So, all right. No, no, no. It's not happening. Danny's like not sure where to go right now. (laughs) I wouldn't know where to go either. It's fine. Just move on. Pretend it never happened. I'll tell you guys. I'll give you guys some like this is my – like if it's Danny's counseling session right now. (laughs) When I watch the Tom versus Time, I look back and it makes me regret my career because – and I was – and Rajan and I talked a little bit about this because I didn't really truly learn how to be a pro – until my sixth year in the league, which was actually eight years removed from college. Like, it took me a while to grow up. And I look at Tom, and I'm like, he's – he's, and you'd mentioned it, Brady, off the top. Like, he's sacrificed a lot. Like, he's given his life to the game. 
I did not like, and I, there's no doubt that there's something to be said about environments, the team you're on, the coach he's been given, like he's getting, he's getting given a really good situation. But when I look back, like I didn't work hard enough. I didn't put in the time that he did. And it, there's something I watch it. I'm like, does he really put in that much time? Cause he talks about watching film and he's like, I could watch film all day. I could watch film for about a half hour and then I was bored. I was like, oh, I've seen enough. when you look back, like on your career, when you look back on it, do you ever like, do you have any regrets from your career or do you look back on it and say, you know what? I gave it all I had and it just didn't work out the way I wanted it to. You know, it's interesting when you say that, um, cause I never felt like things didn't work out for me based on work ethic. I, I thought maybe I could have, you know, spent that em- energy and time in a different way. I think as I got older in my career, I started looking or searching for other people who maybe had the other little secrets. Um, after a back injury, I went out to see Tom House and Adam Dato, who, you know, work with a lot of guys, Tom Brady in particular on mechanics. And, and those guys go out there to Southern California for a few weeks every offseason. Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Um, I'm trying to think of who else just uh, signed up to, to throw with them uh, and to work with them. Uh, Andrew Luck. So um, I, I started kind of going out there to try to say, okay, what are the little secrets they're trying to teach? You know, like, and, but I, I didn't, I didn't get to that point until um, after my seventh year. You know, and, and I think early yeah. on in my career, uh, I was, you know, trying to be in the best shape as I possibly could, trying to be as strong as I could, um, and, and then, you know, on, honestly, with all the different offenses that I had early on in my career, it was really a, a position of transition where I'm constantly learning a new system and, and, and having to adapt. That to me was one of the hardest things. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what I could have done differently to handle that. Um, I think at the end of the day, there were some other things that kind of unfortunately didn't allow me to have a, a better opportunity. But again, that's the kind of situation and circumstance that everyone's given. I think when they're drafted in the league, it's not always going to work out the way we want to. Right. Yeah, um, no doubt. Let me, let me turn. You, you, you just touched on something. You touched on like playing for a bunch of, di- in a d- bunch of different systems, right? And yeah. you having to adjust. Um, and you see that a lot. You see it in the NBA too with guys having to learn a whole new offense and, and what a coach wants. But as it pertains to the Super Bowl, like Doug Peterson's got a new quarterback, yeah. so to speak. Um, and so play callers and, and, and coaches have to adjust to the personnel that they have on the field. So my question is, do, do you give the Eagles a shot in the game? And if you do, what do you think it, the Eagles' best approach? What do you think Doug Peterson's best approach with Nick Foles is? Does he wide open, let him go after it? Or do you kind of scale him down and try to manage the game a little bit? Well, I don't think you can afford to, you know, scale it down and manage the game. Um, it, it just, we, we kind of saw that with the Jacksonville Jaguars to some degree. Um, and you can't win that way against them. Cause if, if Tom Brady has the ball at the end of the game, he's going to find a way of winning. So, you know, I think you've got to be aggressive and take shots kind of somewhere what they did against Minnesota. Um, you know, my, theory behind that though was they weren't scared of case keenum right if they threw a turnover if, if nick Foles threw a pick they weren't concerned that their defense can stop case keenum right it's a different story when you're giving tom brady extra touches so i think it's a fine line you've got to be able to know when you can take your shots um the biggest thing for me i think is productivity on first and second down um they've used utilized the run pass options as rpos we see them all the time in college you're starting to see them now more in the nfl and that to me is where i feel like one it makes a defense like New England that doesn't have great team speed. It's not like you look at the roster and say, wow, these guys are going to be tough. Like, like we've got to change our protection. We have to change this. I mean, they don't have really anyone that you're saying, we're not going to throw at that cornerback or we need to give help on the offensive line to this guy because he's that good of a pass rusher. They don't have anyone like that. Right. So as long as they can t- continue to run and complete those RPOs and run the football enough to provide balance and everything else, I think Nick Foles can – can do a good job of taking care of the football, 
finding production, and then taking those shots when they have the opportunity. Uh, I just think it's, a, it's an interesting philosophical thing, though, when you look at like the two-week buildup, right? You're Nick Foles. You, you were contemplating retirement right. at one point in the offseason. Then you get signed by the Eagles. You go back to Philly. And, and now you've had two weeks to let this sink in. Like, is that giving you anxiety? You're right, right, or right, right. Is, is that giving you the it's extra good, reps no, and time point, right. to actually practice since you were the backup? Like, as much as we want to say he's had enough time with these wide receivers and the tight ends of the throw to, each week's different. you got new plays you're putting in. And, 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 and you really need a full off season. Like, everyone's so impatient. Like, you need a ton of time with these guys to be able to anticipate like you'd like to, especially at the Super Bowl level. So uh, I, I just think this two-week period, it's interesting. Like, is Nick Foles going to be anxious? Is he going to be nervous when he gets out there? Or is he going to be more prepared because he didn't have those reps in training camp in the offseason like Carson Wentz did or other starting quarterbacks? Interesting. I think Nick Foles, more than most like starters, guys who are entrenched starters, uh, needs mental confidence early in this game like if because if, if Tom Brady or if it was Carson Wentz even if he threw a pick in the first quarter I don't think anybody would be worried I think the the start of this game is critical for Nick Foles like because if he builds his confidence I think he could have a stellar game but if he struggles I don't know if I see him overcoming that adversity just because of what you're talking about like I think if you look at his entire career it's been very up and very down and I feel like that's probably the biggest reason. Is it a mental aspect? Because he clearly has the physical capabilities. He's had incredible seasons when he had the 27-2 and two year. Um, but it's been just that unknown of what, what Nick Foles are going to get. So I think Doug Peterson would be wise to come out with a similar game plan he had against the Falcons early, get him some completions, some easy completions, build up his confidence, and then take the shots uh, and try to build up his confidence there. Do you think, Brady, let's just say Foles goes out, Let's say he balls out. He has three touchdowns, 300 yards, MVP, and the Eagles win. What sort of dynamic plays out with the Eagles next year with Carson Wentz back from ACL, and what do they do with Nick Foles? Like, how does that play out? The biggest thing, I think, it depends on um, Carson Wentz's health, right? I mean, it's an ACL-LCL, which is a little bit different. It might take him a little bit longer to come back from um, typically. So, one, you got to see where Carson Wentz is as far as his health how he's feeling when he wants to come back. I mean, in my mind, there's no doubt Wentz is your guy. Like, as, as, as good as this has been for Nick Foles, like, you can't fall into the trap of thinking that um, it's there, there's not a, a, a big gap between Wentz and Foles. I think there is a gap. It's just not as big as what people perceive. I think this team is really good around him, and that's part of it. So I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of controversy. I think, you know, to be honest with you, Howie Roseman could probably – um, you know, get Nick Foles into a situation where you could trade him for some value. And that's where he could continue to keep adding to this roster. But are you willing to then trade a quarterback who's proven to be able to come in in the clutch and potentially in this hypothetical win a Super Bowl? Are you willing to give that up in exchange for whatever else, you know, else is going to help your team? I mean, part of the reason why this team's been able to overcome adversity and so many injuries is because they have depth. Like it's because they've got backup players like Nick Foles who can come in. And then to kind of carry on your last point about Foles needing to get off to a fast start, here's a stat for you. So New England hasn't scored a first-quarter point in the seven Super Bowl appearances they've been in. Like, it's ridiculous to think Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, they haven't scored any points in the first quarter. So when they get out of the first quarter, if they're tied, they're 4-0 in those matchups. But they're 1-2 when trailing. So to your point about you know Foles and the Eagles – I think they got to get off to a fast start because I think if they do, we've kind of seen, seen at least in, in you know the Patriots Super Bowl history, what it's looked like when a team's been ahead against them 
going into the second quarter. Now, mind you, obviously the 28-3 comeback uh, against Atlanta, that was remarkable last year. So you can obviously never count out the Pats. But statistically speaking, uh, the, the Pats haven't played as well from behind in Super Bowls when they're not leading after the first quarter. So it, it makes all the sense in the world to hope, if you're the Eagles, to get off to a fast start uh, for Foles and their offense. Uh, some of that, I, like, I believe like fast starts, slow starts in big games like this, a lot of that can be hung on experience, right? Like you've been there, you've done that. Like what, what do you think about the, the discrepancy in experience, right? Obviously the Patriots have a whole lot on that roster and, yeah. and the Eagles what is relatively unexperienced. I think Tom Brady's been to seven Super Bowls or whatever it is, and there's like there's like pl- seven players that have been to like seven Super Bowls on the Eagles roster, some ridiculous style like Six that. players have been to seven, seven games on the Eagles. There you go. How much stock do you put in the advantage that it that it that it will bring just with the lead up, the two weeks you just alluded to, the whole circus act, which is the the Super Bowl media and and being there a week early and so on and so forth. I, I don't know, not much, because this kind of reminds me of Super Bowl Forty Eight um, between the, the Seahawks and the Broncos. Like going into that matchup, you looked at how prolific the Broncos' offense was with Peyton Manning in two thousand thirteen. I mean, record setting. People were looking at that, saying to themselves, like, this is going to be a lopsided matchup. We remember the, the Seahawks, they ran the football, Russell Wilson would scramble around, do his thing. Right. And they had great defense, but they're like, they're not going to be able to stop Peyton Manning. He's been here before. He's won a Super Bowl before. And then that game got off to a terrible start for yeah. the Broncos. And all that experience, everything else didn't matter. And, and I kind of get that feeling for this one because much like Seattle, who had a great defense, like Philly, and a good running game, and, you know, a quarterback who I think can, quote unquote manage the game if he has to. Now Russell Wilson is better than Nick Foles, so let's right. not make that comparison. But I think there's some similarities. And this is a team that's not favored in this game. There's a bunch of public money betting on Philly right now. But that those are the fans. Like not the sharp money. The sharp money's taking the pats right now. And and I think, you know, rightfully so. But the point is this is if you're if you're looking at this game, most people are picking the Patriots to win. And and Philly once again is that underdog without the experience I just don't know if it matters because we've seen in recent history Seattle be able to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lean yet? Who you're picking? Oh, Pats, man! Come on, Pats, Pats, money line. If I was early, betting I'm advice, start to lean Philly. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I haven't. We're gonna make our picks Friday, but I, but now that you sold me the public money's on the Eagles, I might have to go with the sharp money. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, like, like right now from what I've researched, because I mean, I'm not a degenerate gambler or anything like that. Like, I don't pay attention to the lines and all that kind of stuff. Like. I don't know about all the, you know, 20 different prop bets for Pink and the National Anthem that is supposed to be two minutes, which I would take the over if, what, if I was What betting. color hair is she going to have, Brady? Definitely not Pink because that's too obvious, right? You know, there's actually also a prop bet on whether or not she'll show cleavage. How about yeah. that? Yeah, oh. we saw that one. And, and the stipulation has to be clear separation, which I think in itself – there's going to be attorneys of all. Like, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Her like, hair is definitely going to be blonde, mean? and she's not going to be drawing the line. Is she going to float in, though? Because didn't no. she do, like, a whole tour where she was floating? Not for the national floating? anthem. I don't know. She's going to stand up she's there. She's going to change it up. Classy... It's her moment in time. No. I didn't realize she had cleavage to show, but that's oh, the whole <laughs> hey, Look, apparently she's got some bosoms. Um, but, <laughs> to get, to, but, but I would take the Pats money line, and I maybe would take, uh, if you got, this, what is it, six points early on, I would have taken Philly, not a four and a half. I think I'd maybe take the Pats in that case. For somebody who's not a degenerate gambler, you sure got a lot of those. I don't even know what website to go on. You know, Bravada yeah. or All right, let's, let's have some fun. So every Wednesday we do our top five list. All right, so we're going to do it Super Bowl related. We need top five Super Bowl drinks and snacks combined. 
Ooh. Buffalo chicken wing dip, number one. Danny, always. we can do this as a collective <laughs> effort and each like okay. contribute. Because I think Hannah is right. I think buffalo wings are right. spot on. <laughs> no, no, like, no. Those have to I'm be sorry. On. Chips and guac have to be on. Clarify those Hannah. are like Whoa. two no-brainers. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What are the others? It's Danny, snacks you gotta, and drinks, right? Danny, you got to roll it back. Guess. I'm talking about <laughs> buffalo chicken wing dip. Ugh. What? Wait. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> oh, well, we're talking about the that, – that is not a bad call. The buffalo is, chicken wing dip, talk about. you make it, yeah. you put it in the oven. It's so good. You make it, you put it in the oven. Tabasco? What's in that? You have a special buffalo Just, recipe for that? No, yeah, no, I make it every year. Oh, jeez. It's yeah, so right. good. Okay, but anyways, buffalo oh, chicken wing. Maybe you can bring, bring it in. Bring it in. What? What's I'm the West drink? Roll, y'all. No, not, but just bring one in one day <laughs> oh, okay. so we can make our like. We'll, we'll, we can yeah, try seven it. seven a.m. Buffalo chicken we dip. Yeah, yeah, if you're good. in it, I'll do it. <laughs> what about a seven layer dip? Like, are you guys seven? What is the signature? Yeah. What is the drink that has to be on here? Is it just straight beer? Like having like no? What is the if it's chips, if it's oh, chips and guac, it's got to be like margaritas, Corona, corona right? or margaritas. margarita. Yeah. No, I think yeah, yeah, I think any kind guy. of beer work. Margaritas, really? I like ice cold. Y'all are fancy. I do too. Oh, yeah, Put a little like, lime yeah, in there. So like, then what? So that's we have about four things. What's the fifth thing? Do we need a healthy option with some celery? <sighs> some celery and, and celery carrots. And carrots. <laughs> you put the celery and carrots in the buffalo chicken wing dip, so you don't feel that bad. Danny, are you a cauliflower guy? Like, like do you do you I actually? actually so Hannah brings up something. So that I've actually, my wife is just, she's like all, you know, tries to get me to eat healthy. She actually made cauliflower buffalo. Like they're supposed to be like buffalo style. That's and good. they were actually pretty good. Like oh. instead of wings, you have cauliflower that's I buffalo style. I can't do it, man. Yeah. They had, I saw a recipe. My wife was going to try one. It's cauliflower like fried rice. So instead of fried rice, yeah, you chop too. the cauliflower up. You throw in the ingredients. And you fry the cauliflower as if it were the rice. Oh, is it good? I mean, bro, I'm not trying. Come on, uh, I'm not into that. <laughs> so what's our, what's our list? Yeah, what is our list? We're all over the place. <laughs> all right, so we gotta have we gotta have ice cold beer, right? Beer, beer, yeah. mandatory. Corona, Corona. All right, Corona. Um, yeah, we got Corona. We got chips and guac. We got buffalo wings, and we got Hannah's buffalo dip, which I would. What about put, some I whiskey? Actually know what she's talking about? It is pretty good. <laughs> and uh, we Daniels. got some healthy options. That's our top five. Whiskey. Are we, are we <laughs> like what's are, whiskey? Apparently, the game is the south. Quick. Is there any entree, or is it all finger foods? Like, does anybody? Does anybody? Like, I mean, you gotta eat pizza, right? Pizza, right? Yeah. Come pizza. on, man. These are just cut you up some spot of subs, and if you don't know what the spot of subs are, you need to check them out in South Florida. They're good. They're good. Yeah. All right. Raja's got to beat it. So get out of here, Raja. And uh, let's do some topics. Uh, what do you got for us, Debo? All right. So we're all about beef here on Off the Bench. We kind of thought the Mayweather-McGregor thing was for show and they actually, actually liked each other back when they fought. Impossible to tell, though, through social media. But maybe, just maybe, the beef is real. So Tuesday, Floyd Mayweather posted a video of him stepping into an MMA cage. And McGregor replies, ha, 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 very good. Keep up the good work, my son. Yours sincerely. Senior, But an hour later, McGregor posts a picture of him and his infant son that simply says, F*** the Mayweathers. <laughs> are we still into this beef? No. Uh, these dudes go at it. They're, they're, they'll never – listen, Floyd's never getting in the, in the octagon. He's never going to go in there and go MMA uh, style. Never say getting, never, Danny. Never no, say never. There's a price. Yeah, There's a price. to him. He Come get it handed to him. And okay, he no, a no. little doughy. I no don't one... think he looked good in the in the ring when he stepped in yesterday. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. But here's the thing: we do know one thing about Floyd Mayweather. It's Floyd Money Mayweather. So yeah. it comes down to money. And if Dana White can put it together for, let's say, I don't know, a purse of three hundred million, you can't tell me that Floyd Mayweather wouldn't get into that ring. They probably have a little wink, wink, nod, nod agreement where it's a tap out or submission. Uh, by McGregor instead of letting him get some kick to the head or something like that. 
I can see it, man. <laughs> yeah, over. I would love to see it. I it doesn't tarnish it, his boxing me... record either. You know, it's, it's, it's UFC or mixed martial arts. It's completely different. Yeah, see if we can make it happen. All right, I know Hannah is hyped for this one. So Kendall Jenner's boyfriend might be a bad kisser. That according to an Olympic athlete. So Blake Griffin is Kendall Sky, and we know he got traded. What we learned from an Instagram comment the other day is that Lolo Jones went on a date with him, which was, quote, the worst of her life, and, quote, he's a terrible kisser. I was going to give the floor to Hannah, but, Brady, do you want to ask Hannah about any dates or anything like that? <laughs> Please don't. I mean, do we have time? <laughs> Danny, do you, do you guys talk about oh, yeah, a dating life enough? Let's open no. it up. No, hold on. Hold the phone real quick. Can we talk about Lolo Jones? Because I think – Why does anyone care about her opinion on, on Blake Griffin's kissing? Like, dude, like Lolo needs to stop and just focus on the Olympics, all I right? I think it's a low blow for Lolo to say that. I also don't think that Kendall and Blake are going to last very long now that he's in Detroit, and that's it. Nice deflection. <laughs> Tristan Tristan lives in Cleveland. It didn't right. stop him and uh, whichever one he's with. Yeah, um, that's okay. That's Chloe. Disrespectful. Like they all have private jets. <laughs> they can fly around. They could make they could make long distance work. But I'm with I'm, I'm with Brady. I think Lolo has no like. What is she doing? You don't that's kiss true. and tell. And you, go focus yeah, on winning don't. a medal. Like, yeah, you don't kiss her and sound tell. Bitter. Yeah. She's not being a lady. You right. gotta just. Well, maybe not that's kiss the reason why she's been single all these oh, years. Oh no, so. no, Danny. You see what Hannah's Whoa. doing. She's saying you don't kiss and tell. She wants to avoid her dating life I'm altogether. Not talk- I mean, That's what she's doing. Don't Danny. get me wrong; it is very entertaining, but we're gonna uh, we're not gonna talk about it today. <laughs> we'll have a, we'll have a special episode just dedicated to Hannah's dating life in the summer, or the slow summer yes. months when there's nothing going on. Raja we'll has to talk about baseball. Life. <laughs> slow yeah, we'll, summer months, hot dating. We'll life. make Raja talk about baseball and give me some advice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last one here, and we use this word loosely, but reported Patriots fan Mark Wahlberg says he would be fine if the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And that's because he played an Eagle in a movie, Invincible, and has filmed five films in Philly. This after he left last year's Super Bowl early. He's a complete <laughs> fraud, right? He's got kids. I don't think so. But last year he said his son was sick or something. No, I, he there was came out like a month ago. He said his son was cursing so much that they had <laughs> to leave the game early. <laughs> <laughs> his like eight-year-old son was cursing too much, and he yeah. wanted to get him out of the out of public he's brady's boy he's actually he played vince papali who i'm getting to talk to today i'm interviewing him for the, the radio show i'm doing today i think he, this is one where you can't be that honest because patriots nation is going to disown him for saying that like and that's his hometown that's where he's from you can't be out there saying the other teams are right if they win daddy you have kids though come on man like when they're acting up stuff is going on and like you're in public it's the most embarrassing f- thing for you as a parent <laughs> And it's like you don't want to be around it. Like you just want to watch the game. I'm sure he just wanted to get somewhere quiet where he can put the kids to bed, not deal with all that mess. And yeah, but didn't he leave when they were down 28-3? Like that. That was a coincidence. Four. Come on, that's a coincidence. Yeah. It's the Super Bowl. It's not week three. <laughs> yeah, but again, you got your kid. What are you gonna do? You can't nap him there. I don't blame no, him for leaving. Him I would have left. You take too. the kid out and you spank him in private, and then you say, "All right, shut up." Get back oh, to all right, should oh, I edit Lord. that? Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> Are we are we more excited to see the Patriots celebrity fans or the Eagles celebrity fans? The Eagles, because the Patriots are so boring. Like, we've already seen all their celebrity yeah, fans. Yeah, it's so boring when they just beat down Buffalo every year, <laughs> every time. Who invited you on this freaking podcast? I think you did, actually. <laughs> I think I did, too. Let, let's continue okay, real quick. I, I want to see who else can be out there besides Mike Trout. Oh, yeah, oh. that's true. Will, Will Smith. There's, I mean, Kobe's uh, noted e- Eagles fan. Brady, we yeah. know you're, you were big on those pink props. She's from the Philadelphia area. There's Ooh. a prop 
will she wear any sort of green in her outfit? I don't know if you were aware of that prop. Of course. No, I I was aware of that prop. It wasn't the one that stuck out to me. The uh, The cleavage. The cleavage was was clearly. um, That and the National Anthem. I'm fascinated by the National Anthem because I would manipulate it if I was performing it. Like I I would make a bet and I would say, okay, if I'm taking the over on two minutes, I would draw it out. Like I'd make sure someone's in my ear like, you have ten more seconds. And the home. (laughs) Of the, you know, just draw the whole thing out. Um, true story, true story, real quick. A couple of years ago, we're watching the, I was at a Super Bowl party and, uh, was with some people at my former employer and we had some insider intel from the audition for the national anthem and we all took the over and all won. Yeah, no that's what I'm talking insider about. You can manipulate these you know, That's what you need is insider info is what you need. Cause I think most people think you're going to be nervous and you're going to speed it up and go fast, but true professionals, they will go slower, actually, because they're actually so in the moment. They take those deep breaths. Oh, so just a little insider intel yeah. for you. Are you guys making so. any bets on Justin Timberlake? As in? What, that he exposes a nipple? No, like in his, like, I, I saw one f- for his shoe color. People are talking about his outfit, like what song he's going to come out to. And don't, the blow other our, so- don't blow our picks and props segment. We still have to do that on Friday. Yeah, You're right. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. All right, Brady's got to get to work, man. Thanks for copping on the podcast, man. We appreciate it. We'll have no. to do it again soon. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Have fun down there. Get some Shake Shack. I know it's over there. Or a Juicy Lucy while you're there. <laughs> yeah, I got to get a Juicy Lucy. All right, man. See ya. All right, thanks to Brady Quinn for joining us. That was a lot of fun. We'll have to get him back because he's with us all the time here in studio down in South Florida. Friday, make sure you check us out. We're going to have a huge Super Bowl preview show. We'll do all our picks and props we were just talking about. We'll Maybe we'll hit on that national anthem one. I'll see if I can find any insider intel. Make sure you check us out on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, download, leave us that five-star review. Leave us some good questions, good questions. in there on that podcast. Yeah, Hannah wants good questions. We'd be getting better. I think we've set the bar now where people we know have. what we're looking for. So keep those coming. Check us out if you need Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you can find podcasts. We're there. And as always, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Canel and Bell, where our boy Debo holds it down and keeps the haters at bay. All right, thanks a lot. Have a good Wednesday. 